Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Okay, uh, welcome into another live edition of the DNVR Buffs podcast. I'm Henry Chisholm, and I am here with uh, Ben Girding, the Buffs intern, who you guys have been hearing a little bit of over the last few weeks. Also, this is the uh, DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Illegal Pete's. Um, today, there's some big things happening. Uh, first of all, Carl Durrell is reportedly the Buffs head coach. Um, also, the Buffs lost in basketball to UCLA. Um, where do you want to start, Ben? Let's start with the head coaching news. I think it's pretty big and, and might somehow be overarching over the UCLA loss. Yeah. Yep. I think that, you know, it'd be a lot easier to sulk in the UCLA loss if we hadn't had this news break today, but at least we can distract ourselves a little bit. I know most of the initial reactions are very negative about Carl Durrell being the next Buffs head coach, Um, and I get it. He's not exciting at all, especially for somebody like me. If you guys have been listening to the podcast, you know how excited I've been to talk about all the different schemes, what all these different coaches bring to the table. Carl Durrell, in terms of schemes... They aren't all that exciting. Uh, You know, it's a pretty simple West Coast offense. And to be honest, we really haven't seen him call plays or run his own offense in years. It was 2014. He was the uh, offensive coordinator for Vanderbilt. Uh, It was one of the worst offenses in the FBS. And then you go back to his time at UCLA when he was obviously running the offense when he was head coach there. Uh, Ben, what are your first thoughts on Carl? I think initially it's important to understand that we are almost in March, and as we've been harping on for weeks now, every candidate is going to have its its pluses and its its minuses to it. Um, I think one important thing to also realize with that is when looking at those pluses and negatives, one thing is that Carl Durrell has a lot of coaching experience, and whether or not it's positive or negative in your eyes, it's still beneficial because, you know, bringing in a guy that doesn't necessarily, or that isn't necessarily a, a loose cannon, someone you don't know about, that can be beneficial because it brings a little bit of stability to the program. Yeah. So let's start by running through some of the uh, most notable stops. You know, the one that you're going to hear reference to the most is when he was the head coach at UCLA, I believe was that 2003 to 2007. Um, Fairly successful. You know, it's it's easy to uh, be disappointed in what happened there because he did have the 10-win season. Uh, He won six games in each of his other four seasons. I think it, it it's it's an interesting question. When you look at a guy who went to five bowl games, are you are you happy with the buffs? going down that path. If somebody were to tell you that the Buffs are going to win 
six games in four of the next five seasons and 10 in the other, would you take that, Ben? Absolutely. And I think everybody else here in Boulder will because you look at the the history, you know, within the last 20, 25 years, no coach has been able to do that. And so I think it's important to realize that he is bringing a lot of good experience from college too. He's he's been around the NFL quite a bit, but when he was at UCLA, you know, obviously that 10 win season is you know kind of an outlier, but a bowl game in all five of his years there, I mean, you'll take that nine times out of ten, ten times out of ten. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, it's it's easy to get caught up in the hype of a guy like Steve Sarkeesian. And I was caught up in it too, and I, I'm not even sure that it was wrong to be caught up in the hype. But with a guy like uh, Darrell, you you know that he is connected um, because of all the stops he's made. And as, you know, uninteresting as his hire was, um, what could come next, I think, could be very interesting. You know, we don't know what the numbers are on his contract, but I would assume that he isn't going to be one of the highest paid coaches in the Pac-12. I think that there's more money to be spent on the assistant coaches with a guy like Darrell. I think that uh, I, I think that because he's made so many different stops, and just to run through some of them, you know, he starts at UCF, Northern Arizona, Colorado, Arizona State, Colorado again, Washington, goes to the Broncos, UCLA, Miami, gets a, um, a promotion at Miami, then the Texans, then Vanderbilt, then the Jets, and then the Dolphins, and now he's with Colorado. All of these different spots. He's been so many different places. You meet so many people, first of all, when you've been a coach for 30 years like he has been, but also when you've made so many different stops. And I think that that's something to get excited about, um, especially if you're like me and you've been excited to talk about what Steve Sarkeesian's offense would look like with Brendan Lewis running it, or what Graham Harrell's offense would look like with uh, Brendan Lewis running it. We don't necessarily know what this team is going to look like on the field yet. We just know that Rick George brought in a guy who's very experienced. He's 56. He's been around and he's supposed to be kind of that CEO type. Um, is, is that the move you would have made, Ben? I'll put you on the spot. Personally, no. I think especially with the reports coming out uh, yesterday about all the potential hires that they had, I think it's kind of a tough spot, and it puts Buffs fans in a tough spot because of how many big names that were out there yesterday with, with Greg Roman and Graham Harrell. And now you get a guy who, again, he's going to play the role of the CEO, but the problem is, is it's not a flashy hire. And I think that, you know, Buffs fans were expecting one. They were thinking, you know what, we're going to bounce back. We're going to have a big time hire. And so I think like you touched on, it's important to understand that it's not going to be a top heavy uh, coaching staff, but there's going to be a lot of depth because, you know, there's so much money to put in and really sure up all different angles on both offense, defense, and special teams that... All that uh, Darrell is going to have to do really is just kind of manage it. Yeah. And, you know, he has a good reputation. He's well liked. Um, I, I've had him explained to me by people who remember, uh, we haven't talked about it yet, but, you know, he was Colorado's receivers coach in 1992, 1993, those two seasons while he was there. Uh, he coached Michael Westbrook, he coached Charles Johnson. Um, and then from 1995 to 1998, he was the offensive coordinator and receivers coach, uh, where he worked with Darren Cheverini, among others. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind is that he does have those ties as well. Um, and, from what I've heard, people who knew him back then still like him. 
Um, they really like uh, his personality. He may not be quite as political as Mel was. Um, he may not be so... You know, I've talked about this before, the way that Mel was kind of a manipulator, and uh, we all just accepted that he was a manipulator. Um, and, you know, I said on the podcast that he... Um, manipulates the media. He knows how to play the game. He knows how to play the game with recruits, with boosters, with everybody. Um, and he kind of played us. We thought he was working for us. He wasn't. Um, and so that's kind of one of those takeaways. That's that's not what the book is on Darrell. Um, he's more soft-spoken. He's a little more reserved. He isn't somebody who is just going to be going out of his way saying crazy things. Um, you, you wonder if... These these guys, these players might need somebody who's a little bit more aggressive, um, somebody who will be more fiery than a guy like Darrell. But again, if you're putting him in that CEO spot, letting him build his staff, let his coaches do the coaching while he takes care of other things, um, you know, I, I like it. I, I, I see why you would go down that road. And he's been around so much talent. I mean, he's been coaching for over 30 years. And, you know, just the receivers that you talked about, he's also with the Broncos with Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey. In his time with the Dolphins, he was around Brandon Marshall. And just last year when he was a receivers coach uh, with the Dolphins, he was able to get Devontae Parker to have his best season ever. He is able, or he's shown the ability, uh, for that matter, to bring the best talent out of the guys that are around him. And so, again, it's not going to get people super, super excited because they see the long coaching history, and at first that may seem, well, he can't stick with a job because he's not successful enough. He may just be bouncing around because he finds the talent and is able to get the most out of it. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, you you look at any one of the stops that Carl Durrell, the new Buffs head coach, has made, and... There's something to like. You know, I named the guys he's worked with at Colorado. Uh, you jump ahead to, you know, the Broncos. 2000 to 2002, he was the wide receivers coach. Uh, he was there when Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey became the second duo in NFL history to both record a 1,000-yard season. You know, he's been around that. Uh, you, you skip ahead to much more recently, 2015 through uh, 2018, he's the Jets wide receivers coach. Um, he, he brings Brandon Marshall back to life. Uh, he uh, helped Eric Decker reach another level there and also helped develop guys like Quincy Anunwa, who I think may have been undrafted and turned into a real NFL player, and then also Robbie Anderson. So, so you look everywhere he's gone, and he has that kind of history. A um, couple questions: Who got hired? Uh, Carl Durrell from he was he was the Dolphins' assistant head coach. Um, just got that promotion a couple days ago. Last season, he was the receivers coach. Um, another one: uh, He was average at best at UCLA, a school that's much easier to recruit to. Why should Buffs fans think he's going to be any better at CU, a school that's much harder to recruit to? Um, one point there, again, so he was at UCLA from 2003 to 2007. Um, while he was there, UCLA was going through kind of a budget crisis, and so they really didn't have um, the ammunition to do as much as some of the other schools were doing they they couldn't afford whatever uh the private jets to all over different parts of the country so that everybody could do their best um and also he was recruiting against pete carroll uh at usc and ucla and usc are going off after the exact same um talent in that area and pete carroll beat him and and if i don't like making excuses and saying uh it, it's all right that he didn't do well because look, 
he was in a bad situation. Um, but again, there, there's a reason why anybody who would take this job is available. He struggled. He, he struggled um, to recruit, but he was going up against some competition. Yeah, it's, it's a tough situation to compare because his job at UCLA was you know over a decade ago. The recruiting sphere in college football has dramatically changed since then. And also, he's had so much more experience since then. So, again, this hire is really to start to move forward past Mel Tucker. Going on a second week without a head coach is a tough spot for any college program to be in. At this point, I don't want to say that they settled for uh, Durrell because I don't think that's it at all. But I think the positive is they now have a guy and they can start crafting their team around. And on top of that, start to work to keep these recruits in place. Uh, last time I was on on Tuesday, I talked about the best asset the Buffs have right now is their 2020 recruiting class. It's the best that they've had in years. And so their number one priority needs to make sure that those guys are still happy and excited to play for Colorado. I know initially they were excited and they, you know, pretend or not pretended, but they came out in support of staying with Colorado. But as time goes on, you know, it's, it's tough for them to sign on without having a guy to fight for yet. Yep. Um, I think those are some good points. Uh, I do think, you know, we've talked a lot about what this next process will look like. Uh, now they have a head coach and you go through the process of filling out a coaching staff, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what exactly happens. As I said before, I do think that Darrell has the connections and will have the budget to bring in some pretty big time coaches. Um, who he decides to keep and who he lets go it's going to be interesting to see who that is. I think that Darren Cheverini, uh, you definitely expect to stay. I, I would guess that when Rick George was talking to uh, Durrell, he probably said Darren Cheverini, uh, Darian Hagan, those are guys who are going to be here. I've also heard that uh, Brian Michalowski is another guy who um, the Buffs are planning on finding a way to keep around. Um, outside of that, we'll see. Um, there could be a lot of turnover. Um, a guy like Tyson Summers, does, does he wind up um, coming back as defensive coordinator? Does he take a defensive backs coach job? Uh, if he is going to take a demotion, will he do that at Michigan State? Um, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see where everything goes from here. Yeah, it's it's. Don't judge the hire yet because it's far too early. I know it's very easy to jump to conclusions about, well, this guy hasn't had success or has had success in the past. But the point of this hire is, you know, it's going to be on the cheaper side. And again, they're going to have a lot of money to dive into those assistant coaches. So wait and see what they build around Darrell instead of just focusing on, well, you know, this isn't the flashiest hire. Because while that may be the case, if they are able to retain some of their all-stars that are already on the coaching staff, while also tapping into Darrell's extensive coaching history to kind of poach some guys away from other programs, you could be looking at a coaching staff that has all-star potential. And with that in mind, it really doesn't matter who the head guy is because each position group is going to be, you know, going to the best of their abilities. Yep. And I think before we move on to talk about uh, the basketball team and everything that happened there, um, I do want to mention one story I read uh, while I was looking into Darrell um, because I knew almost nothing about him um, before... I mean, all this news came really quickly. There was a report that he was the favorite, and then about an hour later, he was getting the job. Um, it all moved so fast, and during that, I, I had to uh, I had to figure out who he was. And one of my favorite things that I found was a column from the Miami Herald from just after this season. Um, you know, Darrell was the receivers coach, and uh, he apparently. 
Um, about halfway through the season, uh, when when the team was 0-7, Darrell, during a team meeting, went up to the front of the room and gave a speech that a lot of the team has credited with turning it around. So they started 0-7, finished 6-3, and essentially went up to the front of the room, said, let's play together, let's trust the process, trust the coaching, trust each other. Um, and you know what? It worked. Um a, a lot of a lot of guys on the team apparently were talking about that speech, how impressed they were. Um, I don't know. I, I I do think that that's the kind of stuff that you do want to hear about a coach. Um, any final thoughts on Darrell? I just building off that, that's exactly what you want your head guy to be. And it's interesting that he was able to, you know, assume such responsibility coming from wide receivers position that you know the team was able to rally around that. I think that you know, that shows his leadership capabilities. And that's something that fans should be excited about because again, they surround themselves. There's a lot of ifs with this hire as any of them would have been at this point uh, in the cycle, but you surround him with the right guys. If he has the ability to motivate, that really is the number one job that the thing that you should look for most is if he can rally his players. Yep. Yep. And uh, we'll all get to see how that goes. It will be interesting for guys like Katie Nixon, um, as we've been talking about, you know, you see Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker, Quincy Nunwa, Robbie Anderson, Michael Westbrook and Charles Johnson, Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey. All these guys uh, really ha- played some of their best football. Devontae Parker just this season goes from 600 receiving yards last year to over 1,200 this year, uh, living up to the hype finally when a lot of Dolphins fans thought that he might be kind of a bust. Um, what, what does... Um, Darrell do with Katie Nixon? Um, how much time does he have to spend coaching just the receivers when he is the head coach? Um, Brendan Rice, Daniel Arias, all these guys who we've wanted to see, maybe just see a little bit more out of, this might be the guy who can help Chev do exactly that. Um, another question, any idea what kind of offense he'll want to implement at CU? Um, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but... Honestly, no. We know that he runs a West Coast offense. He's worked in a bunch of West Coast schemes. It's going to be something like that. But because the last time, I mean, he was the offensive coordinator at Vanderbilt. Yeah, in uh, 2014. Before that, he uh, was a head coach at UCLA from 2003 to 2007. Those would have been the last couple of times that you would have seen him call plays. And... uh, even at UCLA, I'm not sure if he delegated the play calling off to his offensive coordinator. Um, so we don't really have as many details here. And again, that's why this is kind of a boring hire in a lot of ways. You know, I had so much fun talking up the way that all these different coaches, Andy Avalos runs his defense. We don't get much clarity scheme-wise here other than to expect some sort of West Coast offense, some sort of West Coast offensive coordinator to come in. <sighs> He has spent a lot of time with disciples of the Mike Shanahan offense, obviously spending time with Gary Kubiak in Houston as well as his time in Denver uh, in in the pros. So, yeah, I think it'll be some variation of that. And I think that is still something that you can get excited about. Obviously, the air raid would excite everybody. But when you look at the West Coast, you know, look at Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco right now. They are utilizing their running back to committee or by committee as best as anybody in the NFL was. And you look at, you know, what this Colorado offense has. It has running backs. It has a ton of running backs in their stable. So that could actually be, you know, something to look for in this season if they do end up moving towards that West Coast scheme is being able to take advantage of all of their different, you know, attributes yeah, and, and one of the knocks on bringing in a West Coast scheme is that it is typically so complex. Um, 
you know, a l- proponents of the West Coast offense will say, well, actually, it's really simple. Um, you look at the play calls, the play calls are basically numbers, and the numbers just correspond with um, a route from the route tree. So, like, your nine routes of fly, um, and all the way down, uh, one through seven, getting deeper, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so you just say the different numbers, and then you go across the field, and those are the routes those guys run. But then you get into the protections, and then you get into the formations, and then you get into the motions, and all of a sudden, that West Coast offense becomes so complex despite starting from a place where it was supposed to be very simple. Um, it's it, It'll be interesting to see with a guy like Brendan Lewis how quickly he can pick up on something like that. Running the ball typically with that West Coast offense, you'd expect to see um, a zone running scheme. Um, but again, all of this is flexible, totally up to the air. Um, another football comment, uh, great hire. It's not boring just because you've never heard of him. You know who has heard of him? We're waiting for the rest. Oh, it Suspense. popped up on the first one. I'm, ex- I'm excited to hear who's heard of him. I know Mike Shanahan is, uh, ah, Brian Flores, four time Super Bowl Dolphins. I bet he has, he worked for him and made him his assistant head coach. You know, and, and there have been a lot of people saying that he deserved the job. Um, Ed McCaffrey, who we coached now is coaching Northern Colorado. He's tweeted about it. Um, Mike Shanahan, I, I believe told Troy rank of Denver seven that he deserved the job, that he's a good hire. Uh, you've seen Matt McChesney come out and say good things about him. Uh, former buffs lineman. There, there are a bunch of different options and, uh, and, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, before we jump into basketball, I'm excited to tell you guys about the Breckenridge beers that I will be drinking tonight at Blake Street Tavern, and I hope to see all of you there. We won't see Ben. No, I have a Roaring Twenties party to go to. He has a Roaring Twenties party to go to. Yeah, we will all be watching the Avs game at the Blake Street Tavern, and, uh, it's going to be a blast. Watch some hockey. Uh, DMVR members get their first beer free. Um, there's going to be giveaways for lower level tickets. And again, it's just a party. It's going to be a bunch of fun. I think I might have to try to find a way to pull up like the Wilder Fury fight on my laptop. If you guys have links, you know where to find me. Um, so yeah, that's the plan for tonight. Hopefully we see you all out there. Hopefully you'll come get your free Breckenridge beer. It's going to be a great night. Um, basketball. Let's talk some basketball. Let's. <laughs> um, you, uh, you feeling good about what happened today? Not great. No? <laughs> Was not anything what I think I or you or I or any Buffs fans were really anticipating, but I think by the end of this podcast that you will understand why it happened, and UCLA is not as bad a team as people think. So I think no. those are two things to keep in mind. Mick Cronin has finally got his squad exactly where he wants it to be. And they're a dangerous team going into the tournament. They are. You know, and again, I'm thinking back to last week when I was just saying, like, you know what? Get through that USC game. You got to get through that USC game. And then they got through the USC game, and I realized there still is the UCLA game to get to. Um, and you know, we were walking in me and guy Casavan. I've never said his name out loud. Uh, he's actually sitting in the rocking chair right there. Um, but yeah, there he is. But, uh, we were walking in and I, uh, told him, you know, UCLA started three and four. And so we all thought that they were a really bad basketball team, but starting with that Colorado game, They've been six and one, and now they've been seven and one since. This is a good basketball game or bad good basketball team, and they have some young guys. So it makes sense that it took a while for them to start clicking the way they've started clicking. Um, 
they're fun to watch. Uh, maybe more fun when they aren't beating the Buffs. But, uh, yeah, I think the first thing we have to say is that UCLA played a very good game. It's a very good basketball team. I know that, uh, who was it? Somebody, I think Jay Billis was on ESPN this morning saying that the only team out of the Pac-12 that could make it through the first weekend is Colorado. Um, I love hearing that for sure, and I think Colorado totally could, but I wouldn't sleep on Arizona. I wouldn't sleep on UCLA, and, of course, Oregon is tough to sleep on as well. The Conference of Champions is starting to actually live yeah. up to its tagline. Yeah. A lot of people are hating on Pac-12 basketball, but I am seeing five, maybe six teams make the tournament, depending on how uh, the Pac-12 tournament goes and whatnot, you know, who is able to get that guaranteed uh, bid before you, know, you look into the at-large bids. But... UCLA has a stifling defense. Mick Cronin, you know, he got his roots back in Cincinnati, so of course I have to make the Cincinnati reference. Yep. Used to be a fan of his, now not so much. His defense is pretty unique because it's kind of a hybrid between a zone and running a man scheme, and so that confuses players. I mean, it's confusing to watch, you know, and try and analyze. So, you know, looking back at their road trip to LA, I think it was the same situation. Got to beat USC, got to beat USC, and they completely forgot to take care of UCLA. And the same thing happened. They came away with a split, and they come away with a split now. Uh, but UCLA, they played great. They bullied, bullied Colorado on offense, but they weren't really playing that tough. I, I think it's a combination between them driving into the lane and Colorado kind of giving up. I think they lost the mental game more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, and you saw them. It wasn't just that they gave up a 16-0 run. Mm-hmm. Um, it's they didn't score for close, or they didn't make a field goal for close to ten minutes. They didn't score for over seven minutes. It's it's not just that shots weren't falling. UCLA was just smothering everything that the Buffs tried to do. Um, you you get you get toward the end of the game, and even when McKinley Wright's knocking down those threes, keeping them alive, those are tough shots. And those were still some of the best looks that they gotten in that second half. The the offense just, you know, again, credit UCLA. That's a good basketball team. But at the same time, that offense can just disappear at times. It can just totally dry up. Yeah, especially when you compare the three-point shooting numbers between Thursday and today. In particular, I mean, they were lights out in the second half against USC. And now, you know, you come in on Saturday and they're shooting 26%. And it's a, it's a variety of things. It's Shane Gatling not being able to cash in on the open, the, the small open looks that they did have. I believe Gatling was just one for seven from deep. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's those op- not being able to capitalize on when you actually have a look because against the Cronin-led defense, you're not going to get the same looks that you would they're no longer, or they no longer should be considered a lower tier team in the conference because of how they dismantled Colorado's offense tonight. I don't know whether you blame it on the defense or you know, or put credit to the defense or blame it on Colorado's offense, but it's just a tough scene, especially with just three games left moving forward. And now, believe it or not, UCLA controls their own destiny moving towards the conference tournament. Yeah, uh, the Buffs kind of put themselves in a tough spot. And, and going back to what you were saying about the open shots, remember remember that last Oregon game when it, it was a great game? Both Oregon games, really. Mm-hmm. Both teams playing very well on both sides of the ball, locking guys down. And what made it such a good game was that every time there was a tiny gap in the defense, the other offense took advantage. And, and that's what you need to be able to do going forward. And I'm not sure if Colorado was just kind of overlooking this UCLA team, wasn't quite as locked in, but it does just feel like 
against some teams, they take advantage of those looks and some teams they don't. And those teams that they take advantage of those looks for are often very good basketball teams. Colorado has a tough tendency to play to the level of their opponent, whether or not that means playing down or playing up, because they show up against great teams. Look no further than Dayton back in December, who now sits at, you know, ranked fifth in the country, led by Obi Toppin, and they're cleaning up their conference. But then you point to the Oregon State game the first time around, where they really struggled. They started to get too comfortable with their lead, and we saw them blow that. So they obviously, I mean, this is a still a 21-7 and basketball team. They're still I mean, pretty much a lot to make the NCAA tournament, but you're starting to see just some holes, you know, some slight tears that might develop into more as we hit March. Yep. Yep. Um, This isn't a perfect basketball team. You know, they can be very good when they're at their best, but we also see them not at their best too often. And and that's what's really getting frustrating at this point. Uh, Jace Kinney asked, what does this UCLA loss do to uh, the NCAA tournament seed? It's not good. But again, once you get this late in the season, you know, remember Duke lost to South Carolina right. by 22 points last week. Didn't even change their net ranking. At this point, you have such a history built that one game, one weekend doesn't change things nearly as much as it did in the rankings a month or two ago. Um, so it hurts. It hurts for sure. But the path is still right there. You know, if, if they finish this season out with uh, three wins and then they win the Pac-12 tournament, are we talking about two seeds still? I think two seeds too far out at this yeah. point. I, I, I think coming into this morning before the UCLA game, I thought that Colorado had a great shot at a three seed. Mm-hmm. Right now, I think they're battling within that four and five conversation, which is still a great spot to be in. I think four or five might be the best spot for them. You take into account Michigan State might also be a four or five, and what a great matchup that could have the potential to be. But just in general, um, I don't think that they can go much higher than that because this is a tough loss. Uh, although UCLA has won their last five straight games, it still hurts the net rankings. I see them probably dropping the AP poll to between 22 and 20. Net rankings probably slipping a little bit there. And with a team that doesn't have the historic success like Colorado does, I mean, you point to that Duke loss, but it's Duke. It's Coach K. They're going to be fine. You look at now a team like Colorado who hasn't made the tournament in the last couple years, you know, um, the selection committee might see that as well. Okay, they're really not that proven. And so... It really just depends. They need to finish strong, and I think they need to make a good run within the Pac-12 tournament. If that happens, also it depends on who's in front of them. I think they still could get a three seed if they win out, they win the conference. But realistically, I think you're looking at a four or five. Yeah, yep, I agree too. Um, Again, if we're being unrealistic and saying you're winning your three games, winning through the conference tournament, I I still think that they might be able to sneak up into that two range if things go perfectly for them but as it stands now I think if you're saying that they're a five seed you're probably you're probably looking at about the right spot um odds are they aren't going to win right seven straight basketball games six straight basketball games whatever that would be and that's still a good spot to be in I don't think anybody should feel bad about being a five seed in the NCAA tournament that's a great spot to be in you have a perfect round of 64 matchup and then you're looking at a four seed I'm getting some looks in the corner that that's not a great spot to be in <laughs> five okay yes I yeah. understand the five yep, twelve matchup it's 
I think <laughs> I think you can look at and see two 12 seeds upset, upsetting in the first round. I don't think Colorado will be one of them. So I think they still have a path to the Sweet 16. I think that should be the goal. That should be the end goal is making a push to the Sweet 16. They haven't been there since 1969. So the road gets tougher, but it's college basketball. They want to make sure no one runs away with it. Yep. Um, and again, Guy and I were talking about on the way up to Boulder, you know, if you're that five seed, that means your path to the final four, if everything goes chalk, is you beat a 12, you beat a four, and then you beat the one. Um, whereas if you take like the six, then you're having to beat um, a 13, a 13. I was wrong before. Is it 11? <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, I was wrong now. I'm really tired. Um, so, yeah, you're a six seed. Uh, you, you play the 11. Then you play the three. And then you play the two. And so those are your options. 11, 3, 2, 12, 4, 1. In the grand scheme, it seems. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the better the seed, the better your odds are. That's just the way it works. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to play some good teams in the tournament. And you're going to have to beat them. And if, if you're losing at home against UCLA, that's not a terrible loss, but it's not a great sign if you're trying to make a big run either. I think, honestly, seed is less important as if they can figure it out and, and get hot. If they are able to win their next three and win the Pac-12 tournament, it doesn't matter if they're a five or a three because they're playing their best basketball. Now, granted, your matchups are going to be tougher, obviously, depending on your seed, but if they are able to start to put together convincing wins you know uh, the last time they played Cal they only actually won by six points Cal's not a great uh, basketball team so if they're able to go on the road and win win in a convincing fashion like they were able to do against Oregon State then you're feeling more comfortable even if you are sitting at a four or five seed yep yep for sure um if you were to pick one thing today that the buffs need to work on all week and clean up what would that be just getting their swagger back, getting their intensity back. They just didn't look confident throughout the game. And it had a weird feeling in the air. 11,000 people coming out to the CU Event Center, and yet they still just weren't able to get that crowd as energized as they were able to in previous games. They were down early, and then they were able to bounce back. But Colorado never once was able to really put that dagger in UCLA and of course that's obvious because UCLA you know ended up coming back and winning the game but there are points during throughout the course of 40 minutes where you can point to and say that was a pivotal moment you know this McKinley right three is where they figured it out they went on a run and that's why they lost is because they were never able to have that moment up until you know you're under a minute left when McKinley's able to hit those back-to-back threes and then you start to get a little bit of hope but I just I feel like throughout the game, no one really felt that confident. And I don't know if it was maybe with the senior day festivities messing up their whole pregame routine, but they just need to get their swagger back. They're a good basketball team. They're 21 and 7. They can beat the next three games. They should be able to beat Cal, Stanford, and Utah. And although it's all on the road, they should be able to do so in a convincing fashion. Just get back to the basics, play good defense, and let your offense come off of it from there. Yep. Yep. I agree. Um again. I don't know that today really changed my thoughts about the Buffs. I, I really don't think it did. Um, we've known that sometimes they don't play their best basketball. We've known that when they do play their best basketball, they can compete with just about anybody in the country. Um, it might change the like odds if I said they show up 70% of the time, 80% of the time, whatever. But really, 
We've seen them do this before. I think at this point in the season, it's kind of just their identity that sometimes they do not show up. Their offense just kind of disappears in games. Uh, they, they have issues with turnovers. But again, that doesn't really surprise me anymore. Oregon is not the team that should scare Colorado anymore. You split the series with them, but you match up actually pretty yep. well with the Ducks. It's the Arizona or uh, the the uh, UCLA and the Arizona schools. Yep. UCLA is taking care of you twice, and you really have not been able to find a good recipe for that. Now you've beaten Arizona State twice, but they're a much hotter team. They're now. different than they were. And Arizona just bullied bullied Colorado down low and there is not a good way to combat that because you just don't have the size to match up with Zeke Naji and all the different you know all the depth of Arizona so I think it's important that Colorado still is able to get a buy within the conference tournament and honestly at this point the five seed in the tournament's on the table if it you totally is they're fourth right now and if you would have said that two days ago this morning it would have been insane to think about but the, the conference is going to finish in a wild fashion because you see the Arizona schools and UCLA get really hot while Colorado and Oregon, you know, I, Colorado split the weekend. That's not bad, not what you want, but Oregon is in a tough, tough spot of any of those five schools. Yep. Yeah, and, you know, we all want to win the conference. We all want the Buffs to win the regular season conference uh, title, but when you're really looking at it, the difference between being the one seed and being the, one, the four seed is just kind of your path. And and I'm not too scared of, I mean, I'm equally scared, really, of Arizona, Oregon, UCLA, all these teams. You know, as long as they get the bye, I'm kind of with you. That four seed might be scary because I do think that if you can get up to the three seed, then you don't have to play one of the other four in the quarterfinal. Um, the four good teams being Arizona, Oregon, Arizona State, and UCLA. Um, and so I think the three or better should be your uh, goal if you're just talking about trying to win the Pac-12 tournament. But obviously, you want to win the regular season title t- as well. Yeah, it's just, it's a tough spot to be in. You know, projecting out after a loss is always a, kind of a weird place to be. So I think taking a little bit of time and making sure that uh, you know, they understand, Colorado understands the position that they're in. And this road trip to Northern California is going to be pivotal to see really where their mind's at, if they're ready for the challenge, because there's so much hype around this team right now. They need to make sure that they can still take care of business because Cal is not a good team right now. That should be a win. And Stanford has tremendously dropped off since they're a hot star. You should be able to clean up business in Northern California. On the road against Utah, it's a tough spot, but again, should be a win. When we were talking about this earlier with the last five games, we were thinking four and one was a good spot to be in. You expected one of those losses to be on the road. Now they just have to play perfect, which, not even perfect. They just need to make sure that they limit some of these mistakes. And you look at, they only had seven, or not seven, maybe 10 turnovers tonight. Not an astronomical number. Their shooting percentage was 45% not awful they still out rebounded UCLA in total and in offensive boards so not a lot of these statistics point to them losing at home just had an off night you need to bounce back and start to clean up and make some shots yeah and make some shots all right I think that's going to do it for today we did get one more question how do you become a DNVR member well let me tell you uh, if you go to thednvr.com you can sign up for a membership um, I'm not sure what our best deal is right now but 
If you buy a year-long uh, subscription to the website, not only do you get to comment on the podcast that isn't live, and I will answer all your questions, and Benwell when he's on, and whoever else could be on, um, but you also get to read all the stories, and you get a free shirt or a free hat or something. Yeah, there's one of the shirts right there. Um, so yeah, uh, definitely do that. You also get a free beer if uh, you uh, come to the DNVR Avs watch party at the Blake Street Tavern tonight. And uh, it's a good beer. It's a Breckenridge beer. So hopefully we'll see some of you there, maybe with the new membership. All right. And see you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd, do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey. Hey. You on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it. Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, man, I swear I think they like my Colorado swag.